Tonight, man, we're going to celebrate the fact that we serve a God that came out, yes. rose up. And uh, excited, man, you're here tonight. If you're brand new to our church, want to just say a big welcome. I'm going to open up the Bible tonight. I know that many people believe in the Bible. Uh, some people don't, and that's okay. But we just believe that God speaks in many ways. His predominant way of speaking to his kids is through his word. We often know the voice of God as it's confirmed by the word of God. And how many know that God doesn't speak outside of contradicting his written word? So when you see the crazy guy saying, I heard a voice tell me to do something bad. You heard a voice. It just wasn't God's. God's, God's voice doesn't contradict his word. And tonight, I'm really excited, um, you know, for what God is doing. And uh, I want to do a little bit something unconventional. That's kind of the, it's been a part of our journey is I've tried to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, I know that we all came. And by the way, I think that we got all of the Good Friday theology in that last video. So now that that's covered. <laughs> We're going to just jump in tonight, but I want to read a few verses out of John chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, and uh, we're going to read this passage tonight, but I want to talk to you about going, uh, actually, just I'll just title this night, Up. Just say Up. U-P, Up, uh, Up. I think Good Friday has a lot of things that are Up-related, Up-related, and I'll explain what the heck I'm talking about here in a few moments, but if you are here tonight and you're brand new to church, maybe you come once a year, we're so glad you're here. And our prayer for you is that this weekend, God would touch your heart in such an amazing way that, you know, this is too good to just experience once or twice a year. My prayer would be is that this next 12 months, you would walk closer to God than you've ever walked. I don't know if you know this, but the greatest thing you can do in life is know the one that gave it to you. And um, so tonight, if this is your first time ever in church, we're so glad you're here. I'm going to read a few verses, I think about uh, 10 verses out of John chapter 19. After I read that, I want to share a story or two, and then I'm going to give you uh, really quickly about seven points, six points. Is that all right? And then I'm going to pray at the end, and here's the fun part. This is maybe a little different than some churches you've been to. I actually believe that at the end of the message, God is going to confirm that I'm not lying to you by healing, by speaking and by actually ministering to your heart. Some of you are going to physically feel something in your body. Some of you are going to go home and that mass that's on your chest is going to be gone. I, how do you know? Because I spend time every week with God, and I believe the great pastors that I respect the most, they're the ones that get up on Sundays that have something to say this way because they spend time during the week talking to God this way. And I think that when you bring the burdens of the people you pastor into the presence of God, God will bring solutions for his people. And so I want you to know, I do believe some of you are going to get healed tonight. Are you saying everyone's going to get healed? I, I think anyone can get healed. My job isn't to heal anybody. My job is to believe that God can heal them. And I'm going to pray. We're going to believe. I've just learned that my job is to believe and obey. God's job is outcome and what, whatever he wants to do. And so tonight, we're going to have a good time. If you believe it, say amen. Who's up for having a good time tonight? All right. Well, I just want you to know, if you get bored at our church, you're boring. Because this isn't a boring church. Amen? I know it's dark in the tents, but man, if you fall asleep, you probably have narcolepsy. I'm not going to lie. We're going to have a good time. You guys ready? John chapter 19. If you're there, say I'm there. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 28 here. This is Jesus hanging on the cross on Good Friday. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Now what? How many grateful that Jesus accomplished everything that needed to get dealt with on the cross? He wrapped everything up. He knew it was all accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying, I thirst. Now a vessel was full of sour wine, was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Can we say it one more time? It is finished. I love how some of you were saying it with me. Others were saying it after me. And it just sounded like a very disunified crowd. It is finished. Bowing his head, he gave. He didn't, he didn't surrender. All right, he, he gave. Jesus wasn't killed. He gave his life. And it says he gave up his spirit. After this took place, verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, he's from Orange County, being a disciple, kidding, uh, he's a business guy, and, and uh, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly, um, for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate, 
came to Pilate and asked him to take away the body, the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus. Who remembers Nicodemus? John chapter 3. Remember that passage? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night. I love how John's like, this guy used to only come at night. But he found some courage and also came bringing a mixture of myrrh, olives, and about 100 pounds. That translates in our currency of about 80 pounds of expensive oil. They took the body of Jesus. They bound it with strips of linen with spices as customs of the Jews is to bury. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Talked before, but it's interesting, the problem of humanity began in a garden. And Jesus, he recovers all in a garden. You guys ready to go? Say with me, up. I just thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you that God, ever since Good Friday, it seems like this gospel message has just had every, everyone in the world moving up. It's had an impact on everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Literally from 120 people in an upper room to now about, uh, about I think, 3 billion out of 8 billion people would profess some sort of belief in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're doing something powerful, something great. And I just ask you tonight, Lord, that you'd remind us that, Lord, this Good Friday is good because of what you caused to rise up. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. 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 I was just praying this week, thinking about this week, uh, all the great things that God has done, all the great things that God is doing. And I couldn't help but kind of think about this. I am a, I'm a father of a uh, teenager. Anybody else have a teenager in your household? That, that much excitement, huh? I have a 14-year-old. And uh, I'll be honest, man, there's a lot of things that are pretty easy to do with kids, easy to do with toddlers, babies. I would say one of the hardest things to do with your children is as they get a little bit older, I would say waking them up. It's the weirdest thing. It's funny that when they're little, they don't want to go to sleep. I want to apologize at 39 for all the years I was mistreating sleep. I want to go on the record and say, Mom, forgive me for all the times you offered me to take a nap, and I fought you on it. Getting my kids to sleep at night is like a reverse hostage negotiation. I'll give you a helicopter if you stay in there. And so my kids, they don't, they don't want to go to sleep. But when they do go to sleep, then they don't want to wake up. I had to buy my daughter a vibrating, loud, like shake the house earthquake alarm clock. It wakes up everybody except her. I could be sleeping in a different zip code. Her alarm clock will wake me up. It's loud, man. It's, just, it's violent. That, that thing goes off in the morning. I'm like, that's a 7.2. No, that's her alarm clock. And she has a tough time just getting up, waking up. I'm more of a night owl by nature. I've had to become an earlier riser because all of Orange County wakes up at about 3.30 a.m. <laughs> all these business guys in the church, I'm like, they're like, what time did you wake up? I'm like, how about you go first? <laughs> I've been up since 3.39. I've been to the gym for two hours, read my Bible for an hour and a half prayed for the nations, took the trash out, walked the dog, got about three hours of office work before anyone wakes up. I'm like, praise God. I'm a pastor. Amen. We'll just keep going. Don't feel like divulging those details of my life. But I'm not really a morning person. I've kind of forced myself to become a morning person. But it is amazing how, you know, when you wake up, there was that sense, I don't know if you've ever taken a really glorious nap before, a nap so glorious that you wake up and you're like, whoa, I missed the school bus. Wait, I'm not in school anymore. I'm 39. You ever woke up in the middle of the night in a hotel room and you're like, where am I? 
been so tired, you're like disoriented, like my bathroom's not over here. It's amazing how uh, your body, when you wake up, has this kind of semi-conscious state. You're kind of awake, you're kind of not. The other night, my, my sister started talking to my high school daughter when she was sleeping. She told her to, we told, she asked us to wake her up from a nap, and we tried about five times. We're like, it's close enough. She'll, just, she'll, she'll, go, she'll burn through the night. And so Kaylee went in there, my little sister, and started talking to Kenzie. And Kenzie had a conversation with her. And she doesn't remember any of it. She was out. It was the cutest thing. Kaylee sent us the video, and she's, like, asking her questions. And, and Kenzie's responding, but not logically. And uh, she showed her this morning, and Kenzie has no memory of that conversation. So, uh, anyways... That has nothing to do with the message. This feels good, you know? Uh, I was thinking about, you know, how Good Friday did a lot of things to a lot of people. And the first Good Friday, you have this crazy environment. It's wild. It's, uh, it's one of the most devastating days in human history for the disciples. These disciples, I want you to know, I think most people don't realize, because we've been, we, we've been living for a long time So uh, since this. Uh, basically, the cross today, for, uh, formidably, is difficult to understand in its original context. What do you mean? We've had 2,000 years of domesticating, romanticizing, idealizing, and misappropriating what the cross actually was. Modern interpretations of the cross would be, listen, this isn't an accurate depiction, but it'd be, there's similarities. It would be like you saying, one day... The American electric chair is going to be assigned to the world's next great religion. It would be a very hard thing for you to envision. Now, listen, this is an adequate analogy, but here's a few of the takeaways if you were to relay the Roman cross to the American electric chairs. Imagine revering an electric chair. Imagine people being so, so religiously bound or spiritually bound to an electric chair that they would make little ones that they would wear around their neck, hanging as small replicas around their neck, and even putting pictures of electric chairs on the outside of holy structures. Now, for us, that's a wild concept. We're like, no, of course, that's weird. But if you were to tell the early 12 that your leader that's been doing miracles, that's been talking not, not like God, but as God, and he said, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to rise. The moment they realized he was dying on a cross, it would have been one of the most disgraceful, scandalous, disheartening things they've ever seen. This is a, this is a big deal. The cross was the different definition of sacrifice and suffering. The Romans actually, this was such a shameful way to die that, that the Romans called it damnatio ad bestius, which means this, Romans put it this way, condemned to death of a beast, to die like an animal. Before Jesus, let me be honest, they say about, they say just over 10, at least, I should say, at least 10,000 people died on a cross. In human history, at least 10,000 people died on a cross. Here's the fun fact. No one knows any of their names before Jesus. I would go on the record to say that if Jesus didn't get out of the grave, we wouldn't know his name either. This is wild. The Jesus that we worship dies this this horrifying, I mean, it's hard for us to exaggerate how horrifying the disciples would have felt watching Jesus die an unedifying uh, and irreligious outcome to a ministry that was led by the name of God. Now you're telling me that our leader, the one that's opened up blind eyes and told oceans to shut up and the winds obeyed his voice? The one that brought dead people back from the grave. You're telling me that he's going to die like a criminal or like a slave. Like a murderer. And we're going to birth a, a movement with a religious leader that died in the electric chair. Can you imagine how hard that would be today? To be like, hey man, this guy, you should listen to his teachings. Is he alive? No, he died. Just got, actually last week he got electric chair. That'd be a tough sell. And that's why Paul goes over and over again. He goes, I'm not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
You know what the shame was? Is that I know it doesn't make sense that the most powerful person to ever live died the most miserable, lowly death you could die. This is wild. And that's why he goes on the record of the Corinthians and says, look, I know the cross to die on a cross. It sounds foolish. It sounds stupid. It sounds totally ear, non-religious or spiritual. But I'm telling you that the cross of Jesus Christ is where the power of God is revealed. Old Testament and New Testament, no one expected the Messiah to be crucified. Even with scriptures out of Isaiah 53, no one anticipated the God that would save the world would die on a criminal's cross. Did you know that Jesus died on a cross that wasn't even built for him? Do you know the name that was probably on the cross before he got on it? It was Barabbas. Jesus died on somebody else's cross. That cross was fitted for a murderer, a thug, a thief. Barabbas is the first one to experience the goodness of the gospel. Barabbas is the first one that has the jail cell knocked on, on death row, no hope, and not a chance in heaven. For anything good coming. And he gets a knock on the door and his cell opens up and they say, Barabbas, you're free to go. How am I free to go? Jesus is taking your place. Barabbas is the first one to experience the gospel message. He's the first one that experience, he experiences the atonement, the substitutionary atonement, the vicarious atonement. That literally means that Jesus would die not just for you, but as paying for sins. It's difficult to wrap our heads around. This is a wild thought. But what separates Jesus from all the other world religions? Do you know that today there is 4,300 religions on the world? I would remind you what separates Jesus Christ from the rest is there is only one empty tomb. Only one. Every religious leader that has ever lived died and never came back from the grave. There's even been people that have come back from the grave. Guys like Lazarus, like the widow's son, like, 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 like I go down the, the list of people that Elijah resurrected. Eutychus died in a church meeting and Paul brought him back to life. Many people came back from the dead, but no one ever came back from the dead and never died again. Jesus stands alone in a league of his own. And I love this story that he comes on the scene and he says, look, I am the resurrection and I am the life. See, most people, they, they don't realize that Good Friday is good because Jesus was lifted up. I love this story because Nicodemus is one of the guys, one of the two guys that's there that he actually gets jolted into faith through the death of Jesus. And this is what I felt. If I could be very, very honest tonight as I was praying, I felt like this Easter, unlike any other Easter, is going to wake some of you up. Some of you have been a closet Christian. You've come to Jesus in the night seasons of your life. You've come to Jesus incognito when, else, when no one else knows that you're actually going to church when life is rough. Some of you are like Joseph of Arimathea. You're a believer, but privately. And I believe it was in the death of Jesus that they said, we're done being sneaky about our faith in God. There was something in the suffering of the Savior that woke up faith inside of two leading citizens, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus from John chapter 3, known as Nick at Night. <laughs> Nick at Night was the one that Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nick at Night goes, what are you talking about? Go back in your mom's womb? Jesus is like, that's a nasty idea. <laughs> no. He says, no, you know where things go based upon wind blows. You don't know where it's going. So you can't understand the things of the Spirit unless you're born in the Spirit. Nicodemus said, what are we talking about? And then he goes on that famous verse. He says, as Moses was lifting up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Nicodemus gets the teaching about Jesus being lifted up. And it was when Jesus was number one. It was when he was hung up. Most people won't wake up until they realize that Jesus hung up for us. I felt like tonight God wanted me to tell you that, yes, he will wake you up. 
But the wake-up call is when you realize that Jesus hung up for us. That God made him who knew no sin become sin for you and me. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That God, he died in our place. No greater love, it says in John, has anyone than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I believe Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea woke up because the first thing they realized was, is look, I knew Jesus was a good teacher. I knew he had the words of life. I knew he did miracles. I knew he was powerful, but I was still scared of what the crowd would think if I served him in the daytime, if I stood for him in public. But it was when Jesus was hung up that something began to change. You see, Good Friday is about Jesus being hung up. And really, if we're just summarizing, I'm just giving you the very condensed version of Good Friday. Good Friday is about Jesus wrapping up. He wraps up everything that was prophesied, all of the prophecies. Can you imagine an autobiography about America that was written 500 years before America existed that would forecast a two world wars that would forecast an atomic bomb that would forecast a assassination of JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. Can you imagine that would forecast a great recession and a, a, a global pandemic? What would you think of a book that was written 500 years ago that forecasted what we know is to be true today? Would you have confidence in that book? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what happened in the life of Jesus. Hundreds of prophecies, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in the last seven days of Jesus' life. That were written hundreds of years before. Most people don't realize this is a prophetic book. And one of the reasons why Jesus came was to wrap up everything the Bible said would happen. He is the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Yeah, he is the one that fulfills all righteousness. Oh, and by the way, he is the one that shows you how to live. It was in Jesus' death that we learn how to live. And it was in his life that we learn how to die. Jesus is the one that models what it looks like to be a follower of the way. To have a relationship with the God that made you, formed you, designed you. That's what he does. So what's Good Friday about? Well, it's about Jesus being hung up so that he could wrap up things. He was wrapping up unfulfilled prophecies. He was fulfilling all righteousness. And he was wrapping up this idea, yeah, it is what's finished. The power of sin. It's finished. You know, most people don't know. They don't know that God created death. Did you know that? It says in Genesis chapter 2 that he warned Adam and Eve. He said, look, don't touch that tree because if you touch it, you will surely die. That's the first time we see die in the Bible. Die is kind of a, I don't know, unknown force to Adam and Eve. They don't know what it means. They don't know really what it's all about. They know it's negative. They know it's scary. But literally, there's no real full definition given to Adam and Eve. He just says, look, if you touch that tree, you will we know that death was alive in the garden, but it wasn't, it wasn't active. Death was not turned on until Adam and Eve sinned. Are you with me today? So here's this is why it's important today. I'm going to go somewhere. Death was there, but it wasn't turned on. Death was not activated until they disobeyed. Sin means to rebel against God's ways. It means to rebel. And so when God said, you can have all the trees of the garden, just not those, th not that one tree. No, don't touch, don't touch those two trees. And when they actually ate the forbidden fruit, they turned death on. This is why it's such a big deal that Jesus on Easter Sunday came back from the dead. Because through one man's disobedience, death was turned on. Have you read Matthew? It's kind of interesting. I won't, I won't go too long here because I don't want to lose too many of you. But you guys like crazy shows on, on Netflix, so some of you like this. It says in Matthew's account that when Jesus got out of the grave, that many saints that were dead came out of the grave. They walked into the city. Why is this a big deal? Because Jesus, we know that if people stopped feeling the effects of sin, which was death, what happens when sin is fully grown? It gives birth to 
death. So if death was activated in Genesis chapter 2, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, we know that resurrection was proof that actually sin actually had been paid for and turned off the very thing that Adam turned on in the garden. It's a big deal. Jesus wraps up what humanity lost in the garden. And that's why these guys, all the God, John's like, yeah, it was the gardener. It was, it was in the garden. It was in the garden. And, and they actually thought that, yeah, they talked to Jesus, and they didn't know it was Jesus. They thought he was the, why all this gardener talk? Because Jesus was actually finishing what was lost in the garden. Sin was turned on. Death was turned on through sin. And eternal life was turned on through Jesus paying for sin. Jesus wrapped up as he hung up. Are you hearing me right now? And when he, was, when he wrapped it up, everybody was shook up. This guy's theologically deep, isn't he? They were. They were shook up. These, these 11 disciples, they were like, oh, my gosh, we've, this is the worst day ever. How would we ever go on? Peter actually tries to go back to fishing. He's like, I'm going back to fishing. I've screwed up. When he says this in John 21, I'm going fishing. He wasn't saying, I'm going to go like just catch the fish. He's like, I'm going vocationally back to the life that I lived before Jesus called me. He thought that his failure was so fatal that he could never recover. And he thought there was no future for the followers of the way. How would you think that this is going to keep going when your hero dies a murderer servant's death? And they're hopeless. They're shook up. They're so shook up that, that it took Jesus appearing in the tomb to Mary and, and, and on the way to Martha. And they have to go and say, guys, look, there's a good outcome coming. Jesus had to show up to these guys on the road that were sad. One guy that was sad, his name was Cleopas. We know why he was sad. Don't name your kid Cleopas. <laughs> People were, they were worried, man. They were sad. It's wild. They, they, were, they were actually in this position that they were, uh, they were shook up. Everybody was. But something happened inside. I love this story of Joseph of Arimathea, and I've never really taught on it before on Sundays. But I, I love this idea that these two leaders, Nicodemus was one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, well, one, of the, one of 72 of the most powerful men, most educated, elite uh, leaders of society. Joseph of Arimathea was a very, very prominent leader and civic leader and business leader. It says he was a very wealthy man. And I love the fact that these closet Christians came out that somehow through the death of Jesus on Good Friday, they woke up. I don't know why. I, this is what I feel prophetically. I feel like tonight in a dark tent, through this message, God might wake up your faith. Wake up that God is worthy to be lived for more than just two or three days a year. That he's worthy to be lived publicly for. Friends don't accept it. Politics and media and it's not culturally trendy anymore to be a follower of Jesus that she can worship wells or trees or anything in humanity but we can't talk about Jesus Christ you get canceled for that Jesus talk I believe that something in the death of Jesus woke up Joseph and woke up Nicodemus and it woke him up so radically that when everybody else was gone they came back this is wild that the sneaky, by night, incognito Christians in the death of Jesus were so awakened that he was literally emboldened to go stand before Pilate and say, I want the body of the God that I worship. I want his body. Publicly, in daytime, go to the most powerful man of the providence of Palestine and say, I need the body of Jesus. And this is why I think one of the reasons why we're in Orange County is God used back then, and he still uses people today. He used the wealthy to actually restore the dignity of the broken body of Jesus. And I believe Orange County be one of the places that restores the dignity of the church 
all over the world using our influence and our affluence to restore the dignity of where the church has been misused and the body of Jesus has been beaten. He says, he says, I need the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus hears that Joseph gets the body. He shows up at the tomb. By the way, this is Joseph's tomb. He gave Jesus his own tomb. It was a tomb that no one had ever been in before. And by the way, this is not just any tomb. He died as a thief, but he was buried in a royal tomb. Did you know that? It was actually someone took the time to dig a rock out for a king's tomb. And we know this, that they came in, and I love this story. Most people read right over it, they miss it. That two guys that were scared to be public for Jesus in Jesus' life go so public for God in his death that when his closest 11 weren't there, they were. And they're with the vulnerable, the only window in history that the body of Jesus was vulnerable. And these two influential and affluential leaders actually grabbed the body of Jesus and publicly with faith said, we're gonna restore the dignity of Jesus. You know what they did? They took 80 pounds. To give you context, remember that verse in the Bible when Judas got really ticked off because he was a thief and he was mad that Mary poured out a year's wage of oil? This is 100 times more than Mary's generous offering. We overread this all the time. They give a king's burial. They anoint him like a king. They prepare his broken body like a king because something in his broken death woke them up. And I'm telling you that when God's, when his suffering wakes you up, you'll begin to number five, stand up. You'll stop caring what people think. You'll stop trying to please the crowd that's bipolar anyways. They'll love you one day and hate you the next day. I'm telling you, I'm living my life. All that God has given me, I will leverage for his body. I will leverage for his kingdom. Of his world and of his kingdom, there is no end. And they stand up. And they say, I'm done trying to please the master of this world and my master forever. I'm living for one king. I'm done bowing to mammon and I'm done bowing to fame. I'm bowing to one king. And something woke up in Joseph and Nicodemus that they went public, got the body of Jesus, stood up, and they actually began to anoint him with a very, very costly offering. And I, don't, I can't help but to think that when they stood up, something stirred up in them. This is what I felt. That's very simple. I'm a simple man. I believe tonight, if I could just make a 2,000-year-old message ap applicable and relevant to this moment in history. I believe that tonight God brought you to these tents. Whether someone invited you, you got a door, a, a mailer, maybe you've been coming for a while, but you haven't encountered God. I think, personally, God brought you here tonight to do something in you that would actually realize that he hung up so that you could actually, you could actually, it might even kind of like shake you up. And when you realize that it shakes you up, you actually begin to, to, to wake up. And when you wake up, you begin to stand up. And when you begin to stand up for God, this is really cool, Christianity gets exciting. Do you know that Christianity was never designed to be private? Most of you have dead faith because it's private faith. Faith is activated as we go public. Like the Great Commission is not like a secret mission. We want you to go at night when no one's looking and whisper into sleeping ears, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word that's used for preacher is herald. It's the kid with the newspaper that says, come here, come here, read all about it. It's an announcer in a public square about an ecclesia, a political structure, eternal structure. 
The church is God's ecclesia. And so here's what I know is that when you stand up, something steers up. And when you get stirred up, you start cheering up. And when you cheer up, you begin to look up. And I think that when you look up, you start firing up. I, 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 and I'm not trying to undermine this. I know there's, we live in a broken world. There's a lot of darkness in the world. I'm not in any way degrading that. I do believe that there is a Pentecost Sunday because there was a Good Friday. There was something in the suffering of Jesus' death that lighted dynamite in the early church, woke up, stirred up, fired up something in the early church. And I think that the Christianity, we got to remember both, that yes, we have a king that suffered, and we too in life will go through suffering seasons. But make no mistake about it, he got out of the grave. And if Jesus can get out of the grave, I can get out of bed on Sunday mornings. Amen. If he can get out of the grave, come on and show himself, we can get out of bed and go to church. Get out of bed, take our kids to youth. Get out of bed, are you hearing me today? And live our life for God. God wants us to live up. He wants us to live. Look, he hung up to wake us up, to stir us up, to fire us up. And I'll be honest, I think most of you, you're dormant in your faith because you've never allowed the cross to wake you up. Jesus died for all your mistakes, all of them. All of them. Well, I'm a good person, man. I'm going to go to heaven. No, you're not. You're not that good. That's like saying, I'm a good swimmer. I'll swim to Hawaii. No, I'm really good. Listen, I might be a better swimmer than everybody in the tent, which is probably not true. Okay? But let's just say I was. And I'm like, I'm better than all of you guys at swimming. We're leaving. Okay? We're going to Newport. We're heading to Maui. We're all swimming. Here's the truth. I, I could be a better swimmer than you. I might make it farther than you, but make no mistake about it, the gap between Maui and me is gonna be way bigger than the gap between me and you. Are you hearing me? And what moralists think is they think, well, if I do more good than bad, God will be like, he'll get his little scale out, he'll put all my good deeds, the time I bought the coffee for the lady behind me, the time that I, took the older lady's cart and put it back to the cart return time I was nice to my neighbor time I sponsored a kid to go to youth camp like the good things gonna kind of push down and when I gave that guy the one finger wave in traffic it's gonna rise up a little higher and if I got more good than bad I'll make it to Maui or make it to heaven it doesn't work like that heaven's not for good people for perfect people. It would be like if you had a debt. Let's say you have a million dollar debt. And let's just say I have an extra million dollars, which just for the record, I don't. Okay? Look at the emails. Like, this guy's got some fancy pants on tonight. It must be nice. Listen, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> but hypothetically, for the story, if I had an extra million dollars, and out of my abundance... I could call your debtor and say, I'm gonna take care of their debt, okay? That would be substitutionary atonement. That would be me covering something that you can't cover. Here's the truth though. Let's just say they wouldn't accept my million dollars until you file chapter seven or chapter 11. That you have to acknowledge that you're going bankrupt before I could help you with your debt. This is the idea. Of it's not until we confess our need for God that we receive His free gift of eternal life. We receive His righteousness. He was broken so that we could be made whole. He died for sin and as sin so that we could live a righteous life. He experienced darkness so that we could live in the light. He experienced sin that we can live holy. And I want to just encourage you tonight. If you've been, if you've been a closet Christian, a, a, a incognito Christian, I believe that it's time to wake up. 
I believe it's time to stand up. I believe it's time to stir yourself up and realize God put you on the earth to know you. And he didn't just put you, why do you have that great job? Why do you have that great spouse? Why do you have those great kids? Why do you live in that great neighborhood? Why has God given you such a life? I believe it's because he wants you to be his ambassador in that neighborhood. This week, something lit a fire in me. My, uh, my neighbor was going through some hardships. I had no idea what level of hardships. I just knew that when I was in Australia last week, I got to talk to him on the phone, got to pray for him on the phone. And uh, he was discouraged, but I didn't know how discouraged. I prayed for him. He thanked me. He said he felt like he was under attack. Prayed for him. Wasn't a, wasn't a believer uh, like, like we would believe. And uh, basically, I had no idea. I, I tried to talk to him three days ago. He's in the front yard. And when I drove in, he beelined it inside the house. Had no idea how much darkness he was struggling with. Found out that yesterday, two days ago, he took his life, he hung himself. And I had no idea, two kids, his wife just went through a really tough thing. He's got one kid in high school, one kid in college. And it just, it woke something up inside of me. And here's what I heard the Lord say, and he told me to tell you the whole church this. He told me to say, it's time to wake up. It's time to stand up. It's time to stir ourselves up. That's what he said. He said, you are the pastor of your block. You are the shepherd of your street. You are the evangelist of your neighborhood. Are you hearing me tonight? I know we live in a busy hour. I know it's easy to rush into the garage, to close the door before we get out of our cars. But here's what I felt the Lord saying is it's time to stop retreating to our patios and start living in our porches again. We gotta start reaching our neighbors once again. Heaven is for real. Hell is for real. And heaven is not for good people, it's for people that have received Jesus. That might offend you. Sometimes the truth will cut you before it cures you. But I've told this church many times, I will smack you with truth before I kiss you with lies. And personally, I would rather you get to heaven and say, I knew that, I just chose the other way. My pastor told me the truth. Then for you to be irritated at me for eternity, that you went to a church that itched your ears, scratched your back, but never told you the truth. Here's the truth, hell is real. Here's also the truth, it wasn't designed for humanity. Hell was built, engineered, architecturally, structured for the devil and for fallen demons that's what the bible says so why would a good god send people to hell he doesn't he honors their choice god's a gentleman whenever people pull that line at me why would a good god send people to hell I'm like why would people not want to know a good god he's good well this one gets me well i want to go to heaven I just don't want to really like go to church or read my Bible or talk to God while I'm on earth. Why would you want to go to heaven then? Heaven's all that. Why just don't want to go to hell? That's like, that's like saying I want like eternal fire insurance. Heaven's not fire insurance. Heaven is a place for people that are in love with Jesus because they realize he hung up for me. He wrapped up all of the loose ends. Yeah, he woke me up, stirred me up, come on, fired me up, caused me to begin to live my life looking up. Amen. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Here's where I'll end. I believe that God's calling you up this year. How many had friends growing up that called you down? Maybe you were that one, right? I, I was kind of the bad influence. But here's the good news, bad influencers. When you're living for hell, you, you're a bad influence. But man, when God gets a hold of you, you become a force to be reckoned with. Some of you have been leveraging your gifts for hell too long. It's time to start living for Jesus. You used to try to talk your friends into drinking more alcohol, smoking more joints, sleeping with more girls. Now, you're gonna be the one that's peer pressuring people to go up. 
I'm not living to, for low morality and, and encourage people to live down. I believe we serve a God that calls us. You come higher. Stop living in that addiction. Get out of that darkness. You're not a victim. This isn't the Victim Olympics. We're not competing for who's the most victimized. We are more than conquerors through the God that loved us and gave himself for us. He'll get you out of your pit. He'll get you out of your hole. He'll get you out of your darkness. He'll get you out of your perversion. But he doesn't help people that don't want to be helped. So you can sit there wallowing in your victimhood, or you can say, Lord Jesus, get me out of this hole. You died so I can live. And you live to model how I can die. You guys ready? Just close your eyes tonight. Real simple prayer. Two simple prayers that have the power of God all over them. First prayer is this. You say, Mark, if I'm being very honest tonight, I came into these tents, and if I'm being honest, I am not living my life for Jesus to be the God of it. I make my own choices. I do my own thing. I talk to God, maybe like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, at night or not in public. But you know what? I feel like God is calling me to actually go public with my faith, to stand up, to stir myself up, to start living up. I'm done living down. I'm living up from here out. I want to invite Jesus. If he hung up for me, I want to stand up for him. I repeat, if he hung up for me, I'm going to live the rest of my life standing up with him, for him. Are you ready? All over these tents tonight, there's many of you. Tonight on Good Friday, one of my friends, he's a doctor and he gave his life to Jesus two years ago on Good Friday. He's been living for Jesus for 24 months. And there's many of you tonight that two years from now, you're going to say, Mark, it was that Good Friday in those dark tents that I stood up because Jesus hung up for me. If you're here tonight and you say, Mark, I'm not asking if you, if you know the Bible. I'm not asking if you went to Christian school. I'm not asking if your grandma was a Christian or your wife's a Christian or your husband's a Christian. I'm asking you, are you living for God and with Jesus? Not privately, secretly, but publicly. If you say no, maybe you're atheist or agnostic, Hindu, Buddhist, or Muslim, but your heart's beating out of your chest right now. God's knocking at the door of your heart. I want to ask you, do you want to start a relationship with Jesus being the one that leads your life up? I'm going to pray for you right now. Just close your eyes. We do that so we don't worry about anybody else around us. This is a holy moment between you and Jesus. Would you raise your hands all over the room? I'll give you three seconds. Tonight I want to give my life fully, not partially, fully, not 50%, 60%, not 80%. I want to go all the way in. I want to give Jesus my life. One, I'll give you three seconds. Two more hands are going up. I love it. Real high. It's dark in here tonight. Three, would you keep them up for me? Keep them up. I'm going to count. I'm going to count. I see three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Real high. Nine, ten in the middle. I see you way in the back. Eleven, way in the back. Twelve, real high. Real high. Keep it up. Real high. Thirteen, real high. Fourteen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Fifteen, I see you, sir. Awesome. You put your hands down. There's at least, at least, at least 15. Probably more. It's hard to see. Hey, Oceans, are we excited about this tonight? Here's some real talk real quick. Does this mean you'll never have a storm again? Does this mean that life will be perfect? That you vote for Pedro and your wildest dreams will come true? No, doesn't mean that. What this means is that we realize peace it's not the absence of things. It's the presence of someone. We can live with peace in a broken world because our God has overcome the world. So we're inviting Jesus and those 15 people pray with all emotions tonight. And then we're going to pray for miracles. It's going to be like four minutes and I'm going to get you out of here. You ready? Here we go. Close your eyes and pray this prayer with those 15 tonight. Say, Jesus, tonight on Good Friday, thank you for dying for me. Because you died for me. I want to live with you and for you. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, 
please forgive me wash me make me holy and please fill me with your wonderful Holy Spirit from here out the rest of my days be the Lord of my life in Jesus name you pray that prayer say amen come on give God a 10 second hand clap that's awesome come on give him a good shout of praise if you love it on a Friday night so awesome so awesome last thing we do before they come up close the service out if you're here tonight God told me there was someone that has a mass on their body a tumor on their body God's gonna heal you tonight someone has some sort of like a degenerate condition in your bones specifically in your feet they're like deteriorating there's pain in your feet God's gonna heal your feet tonight some of you just raised your hand and God's gonna heal your body and say that was me yeah I, I did both I healed and I saved God's gonna do it tonight someone has cancer in here we're gonna pray that God completely annihilates the cancer out of your body just removes it how many believe that God can heal supernaturally I'm not saying you you stop chemo or you stop doing with the doctors I believe that God can heal medically or supernaturally and so God can do both if you're here tonight and you need a touch from God maybe your heart's broken maybe you feel like your mind is broken maybe you're like my my neighbor so you're just carrying this really heaviness and Jesus brought you here tonight not to plan your death he brought you here to start planning your future your life I don't know why why did you share mark about your neighbor because I felt like there would be someone in the tents this weekend that maybe you're thinking about suicide and I would plead with you tonight that there is a way out the lie of the enemy is there's no way out and I'm telling you even Judas had a way out do you know that if Judas would have stayed alive for three days he could have repented to Jesus himself The lie was there was no way out. Do not take the devil's bait. There's life. Amen? So, I don't know who you are, but there's good days ahead for you, sir, ma'am, in Jesus' name. If you need a touch from God, that's you tonight. You raise your hand too, but if you need physical healing, broken heart, physical body, if you're raising your hand, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're weird. It means you're honest, okay? We all need prayer sometimes. If you need a touch from God, I want you to just lift your hand. Just lift your hand right where you are. Just lift, lift your hand, I'm gonna pray for you. It's right where you are, lift your hand all over, all over, all over. This is what we do at our church. Maybe it's not like this where you grew up, but here we believe Mark chapter 16 when it says, my disciples will lay hands on those that might be sick or struggling and I will heal them. So if someone's hands up near you, just go ahead and put your hand on their shoulder. Doesn't, come on, just don't be weird, don't be crazy. Just put your hand on their shoulder. One or two of you, put your hand on their shoulder. And I want you, the Bible says that we confess with our mouth what we believe in our hearts. So right now, we're going to pray a prayer of faith. So right now, with your hand on them, pray this all over oceans tonight. Say, Jesus, we declare life from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Mentally, physically, spiritually. Spirit of infirmity, we command you to go. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill them, heal them, and deliver them now. We pray this time next week, total healing. Every day getting better. In Jesus Christ's name, God's sons and daughters said, Amen.